Hello, and welcome to All Things Marketing and Education. My name is Ilana Leone, and I've devoted my career to helping education brands build their brand awareness and engagement. Each week, I sit down with educators, edtech entrepreneurs, and experts in educational marketing and community building. All of them will share their successes and failures using social media, inbound marketing or content marketing, and community building. I'm excited to guide you on your journey to transform your marketing efforts into something that provides consistent value and ultimately improves the lives of your audience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of All Things Marketing and Education. This week, I am sitting down with Emily McDonald. She is the VP of Trust and Safety at one of the biggest ed tech companies in the US, potentially even the world, who knows, she'll tell you how big they are, but at Remind. So today we'll be talking about all things safety in ed tech. And we'll get into all the nooks and crannies. So whether you're an ed tech startup navigating safety yourself, which is true for a lot of you are one person maybe, or you have a small team, this will be a really good episode for you. Or if you're an educator or district leader trying to figure out, is this product safe? Is this product secure for my students? This episode will also be helpful for you. So back to Emily a little bit. I'm going to introduce her, and then we're going to get into all the things around cybersecurity and safety. So Emily McDonald is the Vice President of Trust and Safety at Remind. And she can tell you a little bit about a, a bit more about Remind, but Remind is a communication platform that reaches students and families and supports learning wherever it happens. And they have lots of new exciting things that they'll be talking about. So it is one of the largest free services in education. It's a, it's a school communication business that supports millions of students every year. And then they also have an online tutoring solution as well. So Emily personally has been at Remind for over eight years and I absolutely love of her story because she was originally a preschool teacher before joining Remind's support team. And now she's heading up um, trust and safety and she's on Remind's executive team. So I just love her story. I know we're going to talk a little bit about her journey as well for all of you educators just curious about careers outside of the classroom. So welcome, Emily. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So, I mean, I mentioned your journey, which I, it was inspiring to me. And I actually remember connecting with uh, a colleague, Meredith. And for those of you that want to follow that, Meredith was from Soundtrap and she heads customer service, but she also started as an educator. So I said, oh, I just met Emily and she has a really cool story where she came as an educator as well, like you. Um, for those of you listening that are curious about paths starting as an educator, I'll go ahead and put it in the show notes, Meredith's episode. But I'd just love to hear from you about your career journey, because so many educators don't know where to go outside of the classroom or how to really follow their gut and their passion. And what are those opportunities? And when I heard your story, I got inspired. So why don't we start there? Yeah, well, actually, I didn't um, know what the journey was going to be myself either when I started out. So as you mentioned, I started my career in early childhood education. I was a preschool teacher in Madison, Wisconsin, and I had moved back home to the San Francisco Bay Area, and I was looking for what was next. Um, I knew I wanted to have an impact, um, hopefully a broad impact. You know, I wanted to 
change the world. I wanted to help people. So I actually was looking for jobs in the nonprofit sector. I thought joining a nonprofit um, dedicated to a cause that resonated with me was going to be how I was going to, you know, have my next big opportunity. Um, and while I was job searching, I went on a walk with a friend, um, just chatting about what I was looking for. And a couple weeks later, she reached back out to me. Um, a friend of hers had posted a job on Remind Support Team on Facebook asking if they knew anybody who would be interested. And she reached out to me recommending this role that I initially dismissed, actually. So I had not been considering tech. I didn't think I wanted to go anywhere near anything for profit. Um, and this friend really encouraged me to take another look. So I go into remind.com. Um, and the stats that I saw really blew me away. So back in 2014, we were a 30 person company. We already had 25% of the teachers in the US using Remind. You mentioned our size. Um, our updated stats are we are currently used by 60% of all teachers in the US. Um, so we have an active teacher in roughly 80% of all US schools, 90% of Title I schools. We deliver 11 billion messages annually. So that was just to answer that, um, you know, one of the largest wow. uh, services and yeah. education question. Yeah. So really, it's been really exciting. So um, so I took, I took this role, right? I took a chance on um, a seasonal contractor role. I had a three-month agreement to help answer teacher questions about how they create their classes, how they get their students and parents to join. And... Um, thankfully, I got to keep my job after that busy back to school season. I joined full time, joined the support team. I became a lead on the team. I became the head of support. And it was as the head of support that uh, my trust and safety journey really began. So now, you know, with a more formal trust and safety program, we have dedicated teams that are set up to help in specific areas. So right now we have an email alias for legal at Remind, privacy at Remind, security at Remind. Back then, we were hardly even using the words trust and safety. And the only way you could get in touch with the company was shoot an email off to contact at Remind and you hit the support team queue, right? And you, you come in as a ticket that needs to be answered. And it doesn't matter if you're a parent asking about our privacy policy before your, your kid use Remind in their classroom, or if you're a district superintendent trying to vet our security before you're going to roll Remind out um, to your school. It was all just, it just came in through the support team. And those were the questions that I really gravitated towards, um, probably partly because we didn't have uh, the answers yet. And so they were really interesting, right? Those were the interesting tickets to get to, to start asking questions like, well, why did we draft our privacy policy this way? And how are we going to talk about that with our users? So after about a year and a half of really gravitating towards that, you know, what kind of ended up being trust and safety work I had and customer privacy smushed onto my head of support title. So I spent some time as the head of support and customer privacy um, and then Remind, you know, like we've talked about, was growing, and we were able to invest um, full-time in a dedicated trust and safety role. So I became the head of trust and safety. And then uh, most recently, as you mentioned, um, about a year and a half ago, I joined the executive team as the vice president of trust and safety, which is just 
awesome, um, you know, in, in my very biased opinion, uh, awesome for our business outcomes, right? Having trust, safety, security, legal at the executive table. But I also think it sends a really important message and signal internally and externally that trust and safety is its entire own team that sits at that table um, that can help partner all the way across the organization. So that's in my journey so far. Yeah. And it's just, I, I love how you say, you know, you just didn't know where you ended up. And so much of us don't, but you followed your gut, you followed your passion and just led into it and said, I, I like this. Let's see where it goes. And you had a company to support that. Absolutely. And I would just clarify when you said in the beginning, you know, we, we didn't know, we didn't know, we didn't have a lot of privacy policies even created. Nobody did. You know, right. I, I, when we were talking before the call is we were both kind of reminiscing about how ed tech has evolved so much when it comes to data policy, privacy, and trust. And it was the wild, wild west. No one knew in the beginning. I remember going to ed surge meetups and where I was attending panels and clever and the big one, the big ed tech companies were just trying to learn from each other at that point and all wanting to do what's right. But I would say everyone had different various takes on it. So it's, it's been a contentious and also like ambiguous thing for so long and you've been at the head of it. So I'm excited to, to get into your findings and how it's evolved. And, and more importantly too, like what should we be looking for from the, the educator perspective too? Mm -hmm. Cause it gets a little tricky. Um, but why don't we just start high level to start and talk about trust and safety? You know, it's in your title, but a lot of people talk about it in a different way or two. So how, how do you begin to define it for yourself and for Remind? Yeah, I think about trust and safety as having three pillars that I always anchor on. So first is safety. Second is legal. And third is security. So for safety, that is, um, you know, to the extent that it's applicable, actually keeping your users physically safe. So that could be how are you responding to uh, content related to self-harm that makes its way onto your platform? For us, it can be um, how are we empowering our administrators who are using Remind at their school and district to help keep their communities as safe as possible in urgent situations? So the role that we play there is making sure that they can get in touch with every single person that they need to reach real time in a way that the messages actually get through. Um, it's about what content, what interactions, even what users you allow on your platform. We exist to support education. We're not just an open network. So, so that's how I think about safety. Legal is generally compliance with applicable privacy laws and regulations. So that one kind of speaks for itself. Um, Security is keeping users' data safe, right? Safeguarding um, that data that you have, which should be a very top priority for every company. It's especially important when you're handling student data. And then trust, um, for me, is how folks feel and think about your company and your brand. So this can result from the interactions that they have actually using your product. It could be their interactions with other users on the platform. It can be their interactions with any of your customer facing teams. Um, what are they seeing about you in the news? What are they seeing about you on social media? So in sort of a marketing sense, that trust can kind of boil down to brand loyalty a bit, I think. 
Yeah. And I'm glad I asked the question because it is like a four part question, right? Because there's so many aspects to trust and safety. And for those of you that are like, oh, you know, those laws, I actually do want to dig into. We did talk to Susan Bearden from Project Unicorn, and we'll put that episode in our show notes. So she has a lot of free resources that point around the legalities of the laws as well. And I'm sure we'll touch a little bit about those in this podcast, too. But okay, so we know that there's lots that is within trust and safety and you have a big job and you are now responsible for the trust and safety for millions of people around the U.S. Um, Not to give you more pressure than you already have. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) But I I mean, for me, I'm just so biased. I love that we have a former educator that's doing that because you can empathize and you have been in that position and you know how critically important it is for students and for educators, you know? So why don't we dig into tactical ways, right? So let's talk about building trust. So Mm -hmm. what do you think the best ways are to build trust with users, specifically in online communities? Yeah. Um, A motto that I hold is say what you do and do what you say. And I'm actually going to connect this back to education. So even as a preschool teacher, as any educator, um, what you're doing with your kiddos, with your students is here's what's going to happen. And then that has to happen, right, to build that trust and those expectations um, to get that buy-in. And so uh, translating that to online communities, that can mean your policies that you're drafting. So you need to have clear policies that say what data you're going to collect, how you're going to use it, uh, making those policies accessible, um, both like they can be found and they can be understood. And then um, you need to follow through, right? So from the data perspective, so then don't use data in any other way than the way that you've said that you're going to use it. But also, um, I think an extension is delivering the experience to your users that they are expecting, right? So they log into their Remind account to do something that is related generally to a student's educational outcomes, right? And so the interactions that they're expecting on our platform are those that would be appropriate in a school setting. So that is a really important tone for us to set and uphold to make sure that when we have users using Remind that the experiencing that they're getting um, is matching those expectations in terms of the content that they're seeing, the interactions they're having. But then also there's a reliability element there. So it's about site uptime, like not having outages. Like if you come to use a communication tool, we'd better be sending your messages. Um, and even, you know, interactions again with our customer support team. So if you do have a question, are you getting reliably, timely, accurate, empathetic um, responses. So again, it's about, I think, say what you do and do what you say. Yeah, it it almost reminds me of that. You ever see that THINK acronym that teachers put up in their classroom? And it's really just about that. It's like being kind. Is it true? Like it gives you a series of Mm -hmm. questions throughout it to really make sure that what you're posting is really aligned with what you say and believe. And it sounds simple in ed tech and in trust and safety, but we have seen data breaches and things go wrong because of simply that. We see ed tech Mm -hmm. companies 
and all companies really, it's not just ed tech, like with the Illuminate education breach, they, yeah. they said they were doing something. And, you know, maybe it's just like they just didn't double check, but do what you say, right? Exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, okay. So we have some like tactical ways of right, making sure that your users trust the product that they use. And what you also said that was helpful is not only be transparent and have it accessible, mm -hmm. like here's, how, here's what we do, all the things, but make it so people can understand like how many policies have you read that you're like, I have no idea what this means. This feels like. Well, and yeah. And I think that, you know, people end up just not reading a lot of the policies because the time that it would take to actually come through and meaningfully understand it and ask the right questions or like understand the nuances. Um, I think, I think a lot of people skip <laughs> reading the policies, honestly, to your point. Yeah. Are there parts in the policy that you're like, please, like, prioritize these sections, if nothing else? Because it is long. It is arduous. And educators don't have time, generally. Yes. Well, so one thing that we've done, which I'm sure is not unique, but um, it would be super difficult for me to ever try to approach a, a privacy policy of a, of a tool I'm considering without this, is, um, I mean, they have to be pretty lengthy, right, and robust for a legal, to serve its legal purpose. But for every single section, we have a, what is this saying? In very accessible, like an eager high school student could totally read and understand the privacy policy. So having those bubbling it up, like what is this saying? Um, sections are something that I think is really important. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. I, I sometimes I have to reread and reread again and go, what does this mean? And I scratch my head and I just give up. And I, I hate right. that. So I love that that is a priority for, for your policy. Um, so you're now leading a big trust and safety initiative and program, and you're at the executive table making sure that it's embedded into conversations every day and mm -hmm. product development. But if we're kind of taking a step back to younger companies that might be building out a trust and safety program, like how do you even get started? It feels slightly overwhelming, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, there is a very common principle called safety by design where everything you're doing, you are keeping user safety first and foremost. And so I'll give you an example of, of how that um, came to be for us. So. Our founders um, had seen firsthand the impact of school-to-home communication on student well-being and outcomes, and so that's when they really set out to help teachers and students build those relationships. But they were embarking on this mission just when teachers were barely starting to become accessible via their personal cell phones outside of the classroom. And while this was great for education outcomes and allowed for greater collaboration with parents and between teachers and students, uh, it also presented a lot of safety and privacy issues, even labor issues, union conflict, like they're using their personal devices for work. Um, and the whole just like teachers giving their phone number and texting students uh, practice was considered taboo. So our whole company was founded to enable those relationships between the families, the teachers, and the schools to be built in a way that seeks to protect safety and privacy. So for us, trust and safety being a part of that school-to-home communication was our premise, right? Um, and that was how we were able to keep that line of communication open. 
And so the safety by design principle that, you know, we've maintained that that can be implemented across, you know, any young company getting started is with every new feature that you're looking at, keep that same lens on what are the right controls, the right safeguards, the right oversight features and specifics, like what are all those things that you need to have in place um, to launch any product experience feature. Um, and then for our more formal program in terms of figuring out what to prioritize, because there's going to be so many problems probably or, or challenges or questions, like you can't tackle everything at once. Listen to your users, right? And pay attention to what's happening out there. That's scary for those stakeholders. So um, for us, it's focusing on what parents and administrators are concerned about. Um, and so some of our security features like requiring two-factor confirmation codes for login, um, even some of the internal employee trainings we um, routinely have that are raising awareness about like phishing, social engineering, those focuses have come out of seeing incidents like credential stuffing or ransomware attacks happening to school districts and ed tech companies in our own backyard and just wanting to make sure that we can do better than that. Um, and one other piece of advice for any young companies getting started, you don't have to bring some of the most expensive resources in-house, um, like legal counsel or a security team. You don't have to build that out internally. There are some amazing individuals and organizations out there that will take you on as one of their portfolio of clients and you can have, therefore, really solid expertise, but not at full-time cost. So those are, those are some tips. And I know that was a, a really hard question because that could be an hour in itself of like, here are all the yeah. things you need to do. But what I loved you said is some of your answer insinuated that it's not just your role to do trust and safety. Is that's any right. feature that's being developed Let's, let's come up with a series of questions or principles guided by the resources you talked about, and let's make sure it meets those criteria and that we're doing our best to anticipate different scenarios. And you're not gonna be able to anticipate them all because I'm sure that every day you're, you're like, oh, that's new, that's new. <laughs> you know, feels like you're just maybe one step ahead at times, right? But I love the idea of an entire organization thinking about the safety and trust of its users. So it's not just one person. And for those of you that know me and know all the other things I talk about on these podcasts, it's the same for social media. Social media shouldn't be de delegated to one person because you have to listen to your users and your users are generally talking about you, with you, for you on social media and then communities as well. If you're building a robust online community, it's not just your community manager's job to keep it engaged and provide value around that. So I just, I loved that. And I went down a little bit of memory lane because I, I spent, our users know, but I spent eight years at the George Lucas Educational Foundation at Edutopia. And I remember we did a Schools That Work where we covered a school that we thought could provide evidence-based um, data to show what they're, what they're doing truly works and it could be replicated in any school environment. So we went to a school called Yes Prep in Houston. It was a, a charter-based school. And it was one of their policies to give out, their teachers would give out cell phone, their cell phone numbers to their kids. And it was like 2000 
four or five, you know, and that was back in the day where it was like a wild, wild west. Like we had cell phones, but we weren't sure that balance and there was all sorts of legal things and why, did, you know, all, but I, I remember talking about that in that coverage and wow, we've never gotten so many comments about you shouldn't do that. And then it was so polarized because we just yeah. didn't have guidance. And then yeah. some tool like Remind came along and now we have a couple of other tools too, but it's just been a different world. It's completely transformed education. So I was just kind of in memory lane while you were talking. <laughs> yeah, it's actually really funny. Um, we get a lot of one-star reviews in the app store from students saying, ah, now my parents actually know what my homework is, um, which is just really funny to, to see even from students taking the time um, to leave an app store review because like, we are connecting the home and the classroom, which is not something I had um, growing up, right? It was a note in the backpack and a note in the backpack is problematic in the first place. It's probably going to get lost or crumpled and never delivered. And even if it does make it home, maybe it makes it to one parent's house, but not the other, right? If there's two households. Um, so yeah, it, it, we've come a long way. Yeah. And you can also connect to the broader like caring community, which I love. And I love those stories when I hear about Remind and other messaging tools. It's it's sometimes not just like the parent, you know, maybe it's an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent. They're all being connected if they want to. And I think that's powerful. And it just made me chuckle because I was the one that always lost the, you know, all of the flyers and the things. I didn't even put them in my backpack as a kid. It just I was like right. messy and I don't know. So they physically clipped them to me with like a body pin. <laughs> that was like, yeah. hey, all right, I get it. Yeah. Um, all right. So have some tips and tricks around how to build a trust and safety program. That That is probably just the tip of the iceberg, but I do believe it, it has to start foundationally with everyone saying this is a commitment. How do we get mm -hmm. started? And then I loved your tip about don't feel like you need to bring it all in-house when you're starting. There's experts around there, so you can not jump all in, but at least have experts at the helm that you can trust and get advice from. So maybe let's put our educator hat on and our education leader hat on, and they are forced every year and throughout the year to, to evaluate tools that come their way. And we have to trust that the decisions made, they make are the safest for the kids and that they've mm -hmm. done their due diligence and they've looked at the policies and they are convinced that they have proper data, cybersecurity, all of the policies in place that help everyone feel safe. So how do they begin to navigate this process? Like what are specific attributes that they should look for? And I know this is a bigger question too, um, but maybe a couple of them that you're like, if it says this, yeah. run away. If it says, oh, this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know um, if they don't have a privacy policy run away. Um, but no, I'll, I'll give you some things that you should look for. Um, and so this is my personal opinion. Um, but what I think what's most commonly looked for, I actually think is pretty seriously insufficient because what a lot of folks anchor on are really, to me, just table stakes compliance. So what you're seeing are folks asking questions about, are you compliant with these state federal privacy laws? And yeah, you do have to be compliant, but a lot of those laws are actually pretty out of date and not robust enough to truly assess if that company is legitimately 
protecting user data in the safest possible way. So I would say um, if you are an administrator or a teacher considering a tool for your school or district or classroom, instead of focusing on like the really common privacy acronyms, COPPA, FERPA, GDPR, CCPA, right? They go on. Um, if you can spare a minute, take a look at the company's actual security practices. Um, I know that not everybody's gonna have the knowledge or the resources to ask much beyond kind of checking those like legal requirements boxes. Um, and so I would say that I think the ed tech company or sorry, the ed tech community should be stepping up and taking ownership of being transparent about security practices because it can be so hard for somebody considering a tool to know what to ask. So one thing you can look for is I think there should be an expectation of a security certification by an external third party. So that could be ISO, which is the International Standards Organization as an example of one. And what happens with these is you have an auditor come in and take a look at your data governance practices and certify every single year that your policies provide adequate protection and that you're actually implementing those policies. Um, there are shockingly few ed tech companies that are ISO certified, um, Remind is one, but that should be a pretty easy thing to look at if you kind of are Googling like the name of the company and ISO, ISO, um, that's one you can look for. And then there's some other visible indicators of how seriously the organization takes privacy and security. So they should have a trust and safety page or a security center or something like that, where they should be highlighting Things like, have they signed the student data privacy pledge? Like, what other commitments have they made? Are they on the early side of announcing compliance with new state legislation, like the age-appropriate design code here in California? Um, and then even if you just don't have time to get past some of those legal uh, acronyms, um, are they just, like, self-claiming compliance, or can they actually cite a third-party that has vetted those. So for example, I Keep Safe is one of several organizations that will actually certify that yes, you are COPPA compliant. Like they came in, they looked under the hood and everything checks out and you really, you know, won't put the district out of FERPA compliance. Um, so any of those kind of third party, respected third party certifications, external commitments, signed pledges, um, it, they should all be on like one web page. So, um, you know, any any parent should be able to um, pull that up and then reach out. Like the company should be responsive and should answer your questions. If you have a question, um, it's valid. So uh, ask, right, if you need to. Yeah, and I knew, like, I knew in my gut that people could say they're certified this, this, and that. And right. it kind of reminds me of, you know, any marketing, like, yes, we do this. Um, but it just really hit home to me that, they, if they're not getting certified from a, another party that has gone under the hood, like you said, yeah. that's a big takeaway. And that also makes me a little scared that not a lot of people <laughs> do that too. So yeah. that is a really good takeaway because if you can trust things like I keep safe. And what was the other one? ISO. ISO. Yeah. ISO, ISO, the International Standards Organization. Yeah, so that's a big takeaway, and that, that's helpful for, for even me when I navigate all these ed tech websites, that if they say it and they don't have third-party kind of oversight and stamp of approval, like, just pause for a second. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. 
gosh, so interesting. I feel like I, I'm a student in this because every day it changes too. <laughs> and like, yeah. you're probably following all the laws and trying to say, okay, how can we protect yeah. against this thing we didn't foresee? Yeah. Um, which makes it interesting. It kind of feels like, you know, I'm in social media where the algorithms change every day. You're in trust and safety where you have new bots and new things every day, <laughs> new spam. That's right. Um, given that, we talked a little bit and reminisced about where it was in the beginning, where it was not a lot of policies, not a regular, not a lot of regulation, um, not a lot of guidance from educators who were giving out cell phones and all the things. But where do you see it going in the future with ed tech? And I know you you don't have a crystal ball. You're not a fortune right. teller. But you've been at this for a very long time. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on maybe some key trends that you might see continuing. Yeah. Well, I will give you an optimistic answer and tell you where um, I would like to see it going more. So um, in trust and safety, unfortunately, you talk a lot about the bad stuff, the scary stuff, the risks, right? And um, I think I would like to see us moving more in the direction of um, supporting and encouraging positive interactions. And this is actually starting to happen a bit, um, for example, in the gaming community. So there has been some research and studies run where um, they don't necessarily prohibit profanity, right? Like you can curse during your zombie game if that's how you are <laughs> interacting um, with the game. Um, but before you say something that has, you know, AI detected like negative sentiment, um, they started delivering these nudges that check the user on their tone. And they're like, hey, this could be perceived that way. Do you still want to send it? And like, you can still send it. Mm. But there's been studies um, that show that those users, that percent of users that were trending toward disruptive behavior that get those nudges, then end up becoming some of the most sort of super users in terms of um, answering questions in the forum or congratulating teammates, right? And so tying that back to education, um, we worry a lot about, you know, keeping the experience um, in par with what would be appropriate in a school setting. And so that's mitigating a lot of the stuff that shouldn't be happening in that realm. But how are we encouraging students to answer questions from other students, right? And so how are we teaching di digital citizenship? Um, a lot of students are beginning to use uh, online tools when they're in the classroom. And so how can we be using that space to really help them understand um, what's appropriate and encouraging those positive behaviors? Um, it, you know, trust and safety can be really reactive. And so thinking more proactively, proactively around how we can promote those really positive behaviors and interactions, um, I hope we can, <laughs> I hope we can get there. Yeah, it reminded me. I love that because we know that that works in education. And I love that it yeah. kind of parallels is that if you want to be punitive and say, don't, 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 one, you're being reactive, but you're not really rewarding the positive stuff and uplifting that. But then I love the example of, hey, just pause for a second. You know, this this tone might be considered X. And it show. I think it just reminds people that they're pause like with emotions first of all but they're not alone and, and not mm -hmm. a weird like in social media I find the people that act out the most is that they just want to be heard and they don't feel like anyone's listening 
And once I kind of reach out to them in a caring way, and it's not it's not in an AI way or in a kind of a systemized way, but just saying, hey, how are you? What's, what's going on here? We're here, by the way. And, and our guidelines don't you know, allow this, but tell us what's going on here. And as soon as they realize that someone's listening, they'll change their tone. Exactly. And especially in education. I don't, we don't deal with the student side, but on the educator side, they just want to be heard. And in this challenging moment in education, I don't blame them. Right. So I loved your example around that. Um, your role is incredibly challenging. It's changing all the time. I'm yeah. wondering, like, how do you, how do you get like the support you need in your role with all the challenges thrown at you? Like, where do you go for like professional development or do you, are you able mm -hmm. to have a support community of like-minded individuals like yourself that you can go, Hey man, this just happened. How do we deal with this? <laughs> and do you feel like the challenges in ed tech are unique to data and privacy? Mm -hmm. Like would it be considered helpful to have a PLN, just an ed tech folk like you or. Right. Yeah. So all the craziness. No, really good question. So, um, my network, my professional network grew out of heads of supports at various companies coming together. So for me, that was in person in San Francisco, we would have lunch monthly in person, just rotating between the different offices. Um, because generally at the startups where we were, you're the only head of support at your company and you, there's nobody else in your company that has the same role as you. And so maybe you can get some internal support, but we were really very collaboratively working on, uh, like how have you set up your Zendesk queues? Um, have you implemented phone support? Things like that. And so when, when trust and safety really started being um, talked about and a more common discussion point, a lot of those, a lot of trust and safety folks did come from support. And so we've been able to kind of maintain those types of networks where we come together, um, you know, every so often and just chat about like what we're seeing. Um, in terms of similarities between ed tech and other sectors, I think there's two different similarities I'll draw. One is, um, with other networks that have some degree of professional expectation. So um, a really helpful other kind of adjacent sphere is, for example, LinkedIn, right? You're going there for a professional experience and um, it, that's super different than Twitter, gaming, dating, right? Which is pretty purely social. Um, so any collaboration between any companies, ed tech or professional associations that have some like higher bar of community standards and like what is acceptable conduct, it's just less casual. You can really collaborate on community guidelines if you're anywhere in that type of sphere. Uh, and then in terms of data, I would say any anybody that has really highly regulated data. So that's health data, data of children, financial data, anything like that, um, those can also have really similar conversations. Interesting. And while you were talking, I was thinking about just, you know, I love educators. I'm on social media all the time. And sometimes they're on Twitter or TikTok or, you know, some of their more social platforms. 
But in general, I can like count on my hand how many educators have gone out of line on this mm-hmm. platform because mm-hmm. we all use it in such a professional, selfless, authentic way. And that's what brought me to education and specifically yeah. into social media. But it just reminded me, I was like, gosh, we're, we're lucky <laughs> to work in this. Act. Not that they're not problems when you get into students and teachers and things like that, but like, I love that we all hold ourselves to a professional standard and that we go in yes. with the expectation of learning and learning from each other and being that lifelong learner. So a little yes. bit of a side note, but when you were talking about, like, I just can't even imagine what like the head of Tinder for tri- like, pr- tr- uh, sorry, trust and safety would be like, what their job would be like, like, ouch. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And actually one other, um, one other sort of distinction between different types of trust and safety teams, there's online interactions. And so that's everybody that we've been talking about. And then there's in-person interactions. So think, you know, all of the social media, gaming, education, online platforms, and then Airbnb, where an individual is showing up at someone's house, right? That's like, that has a whole um, possibility for in-person interactions. So um, in terms of where EdTech can collaborate, it's, it's, a lot of those online communities, although it is a little different because we are created to support a existing real life ecosystem. So we can't have disruptive behavior on Remind and be like, kick the student off the platform. Like them not getting their math homework isn't gonna help anybody, right? So it is, uh, EdTech is, is a little special in that regard. Very good point, <laughs> very good point. Um, so given that you came from education and we are, as always, in a very, very challenging moment in education, we're out of a pandemic, but not really. And there's a lot of unfinished learning reports coming out. There's a lot of pressure on educators. There's a lot of educator turnover. There's a lot of superintendent turnover. I don't mean to be like the negative Nelly, but I also like to call it like I see it in K-12 education and educators are burned out. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts or parting something for them as they listen and go along with their day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, and I can speak for Remind, um, we understand um, and we're here for them. And so what I mean is, uh, you know, we're reaching out to districts. We want to talk about how, how our tutoring solution or how our communication platform can have an impact for them. And we're not able to get a hold of the administrators because they are literally teaching in the classroom because uh, of teaching staffing shortages, right? And so we get it. <laughs> we're here to help. And then what I will say for anybody listening um, who, whether or not you are an educator, if you know an educator, um, reach out and check on them and thank them. Um, I, I don't know that it's um, understood well enough how hard it is right now on schools and districts and everybody working to support them. Um, so just if you are in any position to help in any way, uh, please do so. Yeah, it's kind of, I, I just wrote a newsletter and that was kind of the same thing. It's just like, let's try to figure out even the small ways in a consistent way to support educators. Don't blame mm-hmm. Don't ever attack. Let's come together. And even if it's a small action, like small, consistent things add up. And we need to support our educators as much as possible, including our leaders as well. They're under a lot of pressure. So 
We like to ask all of our guests this one last closing question, and it's fun. I get to learn a whole lot of things of reading and habits and, and whatnot, but especially in ed tech and especially in your job, <laughs> you must have challenging days where you're like, I just want to go home. Don't talk to me. I am completely drained. How do you go back the next day to work and feel recharged? Like what refuels you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, this is, uh, is not some, not a piece of advice I can go out and give somebody to just implement in their life. But, um, I have a three-year-old daughter. And so when I log off, I'm, I'm truly off and I step into her world of pretend and make believe where, you know, she doesn't know that there's a pandemic going on and that things are different and that things are scary. And so, um, spending time with, you know, the little person, uh, whose world I'm trying to make better for the future, um, is something that's really important to me and I'm really lucky, um, to be able to do. So I guess I would kind of extend that more broadly to, um, family time or just connecting with any one, uh, that you care about. Um, that's what gives me the energy to keep doing this work. Yes. Um, last weekend, my niece turned four years old and she had a tiger themed party. And for the entire day, our entire family just pretended we were tigers. And I can't tell you how much like Zen that gave us just to yes. be in this world of make believe and, you know, do tigers eat cake, you know, like it was just fun. And thank you for reminding me about the power of it. Like I always come back replenished, but I never, like if somebody would have asked me that question, I don't know if I would have said that in that way. Yeah. So, thank yeah. you. Well, thank you so much for coming on this podcast, Emily, and sharing your expertise and everything you do every day to keep educators and students safe. I, I don't envy your job because you were doing so much, um, but I appreciate you being transparent on just what are the challenges? Where do you hope it goes? And I hope educators that are listening can say, gosh, you know, I never thought about looking about that or, you know, here's ways I can navigate that privacy policy and feel a little bit more comfortable and confident confident around it all and know that we're all still figuring it out, but you should attract two companies that are leading the discussions and helping navigate it for you, being thought leaders, going to panels, talking about it. And I appreciate that so much from you, Emily, and your leadership here. Um, how can people get in touch with you? Are there any specific resources you'd like to share? We will put them all in the show notes as well. Yeah. So my email is just emily at remind.com. So that would probably be the easiest. Um, emily McDonald on LinkedIn. Um, but you can shoot me an email and we can figure out a way to connect. Um, and then I can get you some resources around how Remind thinks about trust and safety, um, just as examples, right, for other companies out there looking um, to build something similar or, you know, for anybody um considering taking a look at everything that we can offer. Yeah. Thanks for asking. That would, be, that would be really helpful. Okay. Well, thank you all for joining us. And next week we'll be on as well with other experts in community building, social media, and then also just educators in the field as well. But for this episode, you can access their show notes at leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash 36. 
So it's Leone Consulting Group with two G's.com backslash 36. So we will be talking about the most salient points that Emily brought up too. So a little bit of cliff notes, but then all the resources as well, which will be really helpful for an episode like this. So we will see you all next time on all things marketing and education. And thank you so much. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked what you heard and want to dive deeper, you can visit leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash podcasts for all show notes, links, and freebies mentioned in each episode. And we always love friends. So please connect with us on Twitter at Leone Group. If you enjoyed today's show, go ahead and click the subscribe button to be the first one notified when our next episode is released. We'll see you next week on all things marketing and education.